Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Let's get into the Word today. I've got some things I want to share with you and some thoughts today. Um, and here's, here's the thought that I had, and, and it's going to take me a minute to get to it, but I think, I think you'll understand where I'm going. I want to share with you some thoughts today about the search party that became lost themselves. The search party that became lost themselves. You've seen the movies. Somebody's missing. They forget to check back in. There's somebody that can't be found. And all the people are gathered together, and they all go out, and they all start looking. Someone's missing. People go looking. And here was the question I had. What happens if the people who go looking become lost themselves? What happens if the people that go looking, they set out to find someone and then get lost themselves along the way? Bookmark that in your head. We're going to get into the word. There's a theme that interweaves all throughout scripture. And if you'll allow me the opportunity, I think in the next few minutes, I can take you through several hundred years of history, several months worth of, of uh, Bible school and children's uh, children, uh, Sunday school, and in just a few minutes can walk you through and show you this pattern that we see all throughout scripture. You ready? Dr. John, I told you, grab a seatbelt, buckle in. This is gonna be fast. Here's the theme. From the moment God first speaks to Abraham, he he tells him this, I'm going to make you a great nation. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And there was just one problem. Y'all remember the problem that Abraham had? What was the problem? No child. He was going to have to trust God, leave everything, and first go to an area that wasn't his own. The first thing that God told Abraham was, you're going to go. And Abraham says, well, okay, I got to trust God. I got to obey, and then I got to start looking for this place. I got to leave everything. He had to trust God, obey, and start looking. Look at Genesis chapter 12. Here's what it says. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, look at this, to a land that I will show you. How do you love God's directions? Right? Hey, go, and I'll show you when you get there. Now here's where I want you to go. This is how much food you need to take. This is how long you're going to be on the journey. He just said, go, I'll show you when you get there, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be Blessed. So Abraham left in obedience, follow this, and began searching for this land that I will show you. He was looking for a future that was not yet present. Abraham trusted God, he obeyed, he started looking, and then what happened? God provided, showed him where he was supposed to be. God makes a promise to Abraham and Sarah that their descendants would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. The only problem, they didn't have any kids. And so they had to set out. They had to trust God, obey, and start looking for God to do a work in their family. And it gets better. While this is happening, God actually shows Abraham that his descendants would not only find the promised land, but they would fall into captivity, be rescued, rewarded, and then returned. Did you know this? I I saw this looking in in, in Genesis. God actually tells Abraham that the children of Israel are going to be in captivity and that the exodus would happen long before it happens. It's it's, it's fascinating. Look at this. Genesis chapter 15, verse 12. 
As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God told them what would happen before it happened. I'll abbreviate the rest of the story from here. Buckle in, it's going to get really fast. Abraham and Sarah do have a son, the promised son Isaac, and God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. You remember that? Theologians tell us that Isaac was probably a teenager. It makes a lot of sense why his father would go and want to sacrifice him uh, as a teenager. But Abraham had to trust God, he had to obey, and he had to start looking. You remember the story, if you, if, if you recall, Isaac actually asked his father on the way up, God, I, Dad, I see the wood, we're going up to the place we made a sacrifice, where is the sacrifice that we're going to be making? And Abraham said, son, God, God will provide. And in the back of his mind, he's looking. God, I'll do it if you want me to, I trust you, I will obey, but he's looking He trusted God, he obeyed, he started looking, and God provided a ram in the bush. Fast forward, Isaac needs a wife now. For the generations to continue, Isaac himself needs to get married, but not from the foreigners where they were living from, but from his father's relatives back where they came from. Abraham imparts this very important mission to a servant and says, I need you to go and find a wife for my son. Big deal, big responsibility to this servant, and as it plays out, we see the servant doing the same thing. He trusts God, he obeys, and he starts looking. God provides a wife, Rebecca, from among Abraham's relatives. Fast forward, Isaac and Rebecca have two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob becomes a son of promise and is also in need of a wife from his father's relative. Jacob has to trust God, obey, and start looking for a wife. God provides two wives, one through deception, Leah, and one through trusting, obeying, and looking. That is Rachel. God changes his name to Israel, and he has 12 sons. I'm telling you, this is a lot of history in a short period of time. One of those sons is named Joseph. Joseph has a lot of favor on his life, and he's one of his father's favorites. And he has a dream that his brothers one day would all bow down to him. How many of you know that did not go well with the brothers? It did, it did not go well at all. And uh, they sold him into slavery shortly after they relented from starting to kill him. So they decided not to kill him, sent him at the last minute into slavery. And here Jacob was. He was now a slave with a promised future, but no hope in sight. Jacob had to trust God, Joseph, I'm sorry, had to trust God, obey, and start looking. And then what happens? God provides. God provides not just redemption for Joseph, elevating him from the prison to the second highest position in all of Egypt, but in doing so, he provides a place for his entire family to live and prosper during a famine. Y'all with me so far? You're seeing, starting to see a pattern? The children of Israel grow, they multiply, and they have favor for centuries, But as time passes, they lose that favor and it turns into fear and the Egyptians who once hosted them have now forced them into captivity and into slavery. God's promised people have a promised land that they cannot enter because they are enslaved. They had to do what? Trust God, obey, and start looking. Are you seeing a pattern here? 
Trust God, obey, start looking. God will provide, and he did for them. God provided a deliverer through Moses, who through miracles and plagues leads children, God's children out of Egypt and into their promised land. You remember, we just read it in Genesis 15. The Lord said to Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. That was Egypt. And will be servants there. Remember, they were in slavery. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. God promised. They trusted, obeyed, started looking, and God provided. 21st century B.C., God makes his promise to Abram. 13th century B.C., the exodus happens. 800 years transpire. Okay, why are you saying this, Pastor Don? Why, why is this important? Every Jewish child would grow up learning these stories and these things that I'm telling you, and they would start to see over and over and over again that when God promises you have to trust, then you obey, then you start looking and God will provide over and over and over again. There's a pattern I need you to see if I'm going to share with you what God put on my heart earlier this week for you to hear this morning. They had to trust God. They had to obey, they had to start looking, and then God would provide over and over again all throughout their history. Fast forward. Y'all with me? Buckled in? Another 366 years later, Israel is now settled, they are united, and they're secure in their promised land under the great King David, the small shepherd boy who killed Goliath, who, by the way, in his own story, was promised to be king, and then there was no kingdom in sight for him. He had to trust God, obey, and then start looking. And what does God end up doing? God provides for him in his own way. It's the golden age of Israel. They had a king who loved God. They had peace from their enemies. They had prosperity. And God promises David and Israel a future king from his lineage that would come and establish a kingdom that would endure forever. That happened in that moment. God promised. And from that moment, here's what happens. They fall away. They would be restored. They would be conquered. They would be taken into captivity. And throughout the rest of the Old Testament history, they would look back on these stories. And every time it was grim, they'd be able to look back and then look forward to a future where God would fulfill his promise. Because they had seen him time and time again. If they would just trust him, if they would obey If they would start looking, God would provide. They would trust God. You're going to get this at some point. They would obey. They would start looking, and then God would provide. And as time went on throughout their history, this anticipation of this future king, this Messiah, would come and would build, and the prophets would start to reveal more and more about this Messiah who was to come. And you wondered how I was going to get into Christmas. Here we are. Let's look what it says in Isaiah 7, 14. This is the prophet Isaiah. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. It means God with us. The prophets are giving them more picture of what this is going to look like. Isaiah goes on in chapter 9, verses 4 through 7. When things were at their darkest, they had a promised Messiah to look forward to. Here's what it says, verse 4. You have broken the power of those who abused and enslaved your people. You have rescued them as you saved your people from Midian. 
The boots of marching warriors and the blood-stained uniforms have been fed to flames and eaten by fire. Can you imagine being in captivity, being enslaved and seeing a conquering army drag you and your relatives to a far distant land and then to read this and to be able to know and trust and hope that God would do what he said he was going to do in the middle of all of this? Keep going. Number six, verse six, a child has been born for us. We have been given a son who will be our ruler. His names will be Wonderful Advisor and Mighty God, Eternal Father and Prince of Peace. His power will never end. Peace will last forever. He will rule David's kingdom and make it grow strong. He will always rule with honesty and justice. The Lord all-powerful will make certain that all of this is done. And guess how that was going to take place. Ready? You should be able to say it with me by now. They had to trust God, obey, and start looking, and then God would provide, just as he had done over and over and over and over and over again. And I need you to get this pattern, because if you don't really understand this pattern, you can't put yourself in the mind of a New Testament child of God who is wondering, why has this not happened yet? I see it over and over and over again. You did it for Abraham. You did it for Isaac. You did it for Jacob. You did it for Joshua. Why has this not happened for us? What is going on in the middle of this? God had promised the Messiah. He had told them what to expect and what to look for. There was just one problem. They had broken the pattern. They thought that they were trusting and looking, but they had stopped obeying. They had stopped obeying. Those who had set out looking for the lost Messiah had become lost themselves. They were lost. So what happens when someone gets lost? How are they found? I came across some fascinating uh, information this week. I I had never known this. Did you know that there's actually an entire science devoted to finding lost people? It began in the 1970s. They started to compile all of this information from over 2 million uh, episodes where they had looked for and recovered lost people. And all of this was gathered together. And they started compiling all of this. And they made a science out of it to assist search and rescue teams as they go to find other people. Apparently, there's some predictability when it comes to people. They identified over 41 different types of people that could get lost. And they identified 41 different scenarios where lost people could encounter an opportunity, or when people could encounter an opportunity to be lost. And they categorized and they started to study all of this. And if they knew, if they could understand the person and the area and the activity that they were involved in before they were lost, look at this, they can actually predict with reasonable accuracy and efficiency both where to start looking and how long it would take to find them. It's fascinating. I never knew this. There's even an app you can download on your cell phone to plug in all the variables um, to do this. It's called lost person behavior. It's It's a thing, lost person behavior, and the science is fascinating. Now, obviously in our context here today, I'm preaching a message about the coming Messiah. I'm not referring to those who went hiking and didn't report back. 
You get that, right? I'm talking to those who have lost their way, who are dead in their sin, and apart from being found, saved, and born again, will not be spending eternity in heaven. They will be spending eternity in hell apart from God of their own choosing. They had become lost. That's what I'm talking about. But there's a lot of similarities between this science of lost person behavior and what we witness in people today. Let's look at some of these similarities between the physical and the spiritual. Let's just look at a few of these. Number one, lost adults will rarely travel in a straight line, the the report says, and they rarely reverse direction. Lost adults don't often turn around and go the other way, apparently. Secondly, young people of ages 13 through 15 often become lost in groups of two or more. How many of you know that's true for teenagers? All right, fascinating stuff. Number three, one of the biggest problems looking for lost children ages four through six is that they won't answer rescuers' calls because they've been taught to avoid strangers. Number four, despondent people typically don't travel very far and they may hide from search teams. It's crazy. There are people actually hide from people who are trying to help them. You know anybody like that? Number five, 54% of people are found within two miles of the point where they were last seen. I've heard it said you never grow past your last act of disobedience. Number six, it's a myth that we panic when we're lost. Instead, most of us experience shock, disbelief, and embarrassment. Number seven, many lost people experience an irrational belief that no one is looking for them. You may have felt like that in your life spiritually too. I'm too far lost for anybody to help. Nobody, nobody's looking for me. Nobody's looking for me. Let's get back to our story. They were lost, looking for their own version of a Messiah that they thought God would send, but they couldn't find him. And all the while, God had sent a Messiah right in their midst, right in their midst. Not the one they thought they wanted, but the one God knew they what? actually needed actually needed only watch this this time it wasn't them who was to trust god obey and start looking it was jesus jesus was sent to trust god obey and start looking look at this john 3 16 through 17 you know this god so loved the people of this world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who has faith in him will have eternal life and never really die. Verse 17, so important. A lot of people don't talk about the verse after that. God did not send his son into the world to condemn its people. He sent them to what? Save them. Luke 19, 10. The son of man, this is Jesus, came to look for and to save people who are lost. Jesus had to trust God and through his obedience he had to start looking and he's been looking. John chapter 6, verse 38 through 40. This is words of Jesus. I didn't come from heaven to do what I want. I came to do what the Father wants me to do. He sent me, and he wants to make certain that none of the ones he has given me will be lost. Instead, he wants me to raise them to life on the last day. My Father wants everyone who sees the Son to have faith in him and to have eternal life. Then I will raise them to life on the last day. Jesus came to search for, 
the search party who would become lost. Isaiah 55 or 53 verse 6 says this about you and I. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Think about that for just a second. God himself, our choice, our decision to turn. The Bible says every one of us made a decision. Nobody's exempt. We all made a decision that our way is better than his way. And because of that way, we've been separated from our relationship with God, lost in our sin, and God laid on him the iniquity for us all. So here's the truth about this Christmas season I want you to see. The Messiah has come. Jesus did come. And he completed and fulfilled the pattern. He trusted God. He obeyed God. And he started looking for you. And through him, God provided a way for you to be saved, for you to be born again, for you to be restored in relationship to himself. And that's the story of the Christmas season. It's the Advent That word Advent means the arrival or the coming. Christmas is not about decorations. It's not about gifts. It's not about Santa or snow or even getting out of school or getting off of work for an extended period of time. It's about Jesus. It's about I was lost and he came. I was lost and he came. He searched for me, he saved me, and still today, his search and rescue mission is still at hand. Still at hand. Can I make a confession to you today about Christmas? I was kind of bothered by this uh, in, in my life. I, I get as the, as the older I get, maybe the closer to eternity, and I know I'm still young, I get... Christmas has kind of lost its luster for me a little bit. Maybe that's not you. Maybe it's just me. But it doesn't, it, it, it's just less and less special to me. It's, it's less and less magical. It's, it's less and less fulfilling. I remember as a child, just, you know, to look forward and just, man, this is awesome. And a favorite time of year and all of those things. But anybody else, as you get older, it's just kind of like, man. And it's easy. It's easy to let this season and all of its glitter and all of its gift rob you from the true meaning of this season. It's true. Christmas has a way of getting you to look forward to Christmas Day instead of, watch this, looking forward to that day when we will stand before God with fully righteous and at peace ready to enter into eternity. It does that to you. To be able to stand on that day when all is calm and all is bright, not in the world, in your soul. That's what that song's about. The day that we get to stand before Jesus, fully righteous. Can you sing that? All is calm, all is bright in your soul. I think John Piper captures this perfectly, this thing I've been feeling. Here's what he says. If there's a longing in your heart this Advent for something that the world has not been able to satisfy, might not this longing be God's Christmas gift? 
preparing you to see Christ as consolation and redemption and to receive him for who he really is? Could it be that the the magic wears off the closer I get to realizing it's not about any of those things? It's, It's all about him. Is it possible that he's created a longing inside of me that cannot be fulfilled until I'm in his presence one day and that the very nature of who I'm called to be is set to look forward to that? To be able to trust him to obey him and start looking for that day when he will provide an eternity for me with him. There is a longing in the heart of every man to be right with God. No amount of money could acquire enough gifts to satisfy that longing. No amount of time off of work or off of school will replace or compare to that longing for eternity that he's put in our hearts. No amount of time spent with family could replace that desire that he's put in there for you to spend time with him. That's the advent. That's the season. That's what we're doing. That's why it's lost its luster for you. Because it was never about that to begin with. It was about him. And what Jesus came to do. Emmanuel, God with us. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And when I do that, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to take an inventory. It's possible for you to listen to my voice, but search your heart. I want you to do that right now. And if you're here today and you've allowed the season of Christmas to distract you from the reason for Christmas, you need to repent. It was never about Christmas and gifts and things and lights and decorations and snow and Santa and all of those things it was about him it's always been about him and if you find yourself caught up in the middle of the season and you've been distracted from the reason I want you to take a moment just you and God and just repent acknowledge that turn from that and agree to walk the way he would want you to walk But if you're here today and you've been searching and looking for a holiday to meet some unmet emotional or physical need in your life instead of trusting and obeying God, no wonder he hasn't provided. That's not the pattern. God teaches us over and over again, we need to trust him. We need to obey him. And we need to start looking. And when we do that, he will provide for us. No wonder that longing is there in your heart. It's God. He's preparing you to be ready to receive him. And I can think of no better time than this Advent season, this he is coming season, for you to respond to what God is doing in your heart, that longing that was there, that's been there that you've been trying to fill and medicate and pacify, that has come up short every single time. It's him. He came to seek and to save you from being lost. Remember our lost people behavior? They're often embarrassed and ashamed. Can you be released of that in the name of Jesus today? Just be released of that. To be embarrassed that you've been lost. We were all lost. And he found us. Don't hide from those who are trying to help you. And don't believe the lie that no one is looking for you. He is looking for you. 
So if that's what lost people do, Pastor Don, what do found people do? I'll tell you what found people do. It's as simple as ABC. Found people admit that their sin has separated them from Jesus. And that apart from intervention beyond their ability, they will spend an eternity in hell away from God and his presence. They admit that. Found people believe, B, They believe that God sent his only son, Jesus, to come looking for you, to seek and to save you, to live a life that you could not live, to pay a debt you could not pay in a way that you could not receive it. If you tried yourself, they believe it. And then see, they confess. They confess him as Lord and Savior. They stop, they turn, and they look to the one who's been looking for them and they trust and they obey and they start looking for that promise again. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, there's been a longing in my heart and I didn't know what it was, but I know now the Holy Spirit has spoke to me. I see this. Jesus says you can't even enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't even see the kingdom of heaven unless you've been born again. And if you see for the first time in your life that longing that you've been waiting for, is Jesus himself. The Holy Spirit has brought you to this place of understanding. You've been born again. You've been brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. And I want to pray with you. If that's you here today, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come up front. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. But I just want to know who I'm praying with today. And if that's you, and say, Pastor Don, will you pray with me to be born again? I've been, I've been lost. And I'm ready to be found. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand on the count of three and just let me know who I'm praying with today. One, two, three. Raise your hand. Let me know I'm praying with you. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. Anybody else in the balcony? Thank you. I see your hand. Church, here's what we're gonna do. Those of you that raise your hand, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. The prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you, allows you to see what he's been doing in your heart. But this prayer is gonna give us an opportunity to acknowledge that and to settle that in our spirits that we are born again. And church, I'm gonna ask all of us to pray together, representing the fact that nobody walks through Christianity alone. Repeat this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, You took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Church, can we celebrate with those who raise their hand?